Good morning. Uh, I'm Justin Harper. I'm part of the leadership uh, team here at The Vine, and um, this is the first time I've been able to speak uh, since we've been in the new building in this capacity. Uh, so thank you for letting me be up here today. Mike and Sarah have some, uh, thanks. Have some well-deserved time uh, vacation, celebrating their anniversary, so we're happy for them. And um, I've been going through a study this year. Uh, called the, it's called the Bema series, and uh, there was one particular, well, a lot of it was impactful, but one in particular was really stuck with me, and it's surrounding the, the parable of the yeast. And as we consider the Advent season, uh, we anticipate Christ. We get to consider the joy of our Savior, and we get to explore the joy of this renewed kingdom coming to earth. And that's where I want to look at these, this parable today. Um, like Sally said, there's kind of a peaceful presence here today, right? I think we all did a good job maybe practicing peace this past week in observance of the Advent, and um, I think joy goes hand in hand, right? It's all part of the season. But before we get into that, I want to I tell you a, a tale from uh, my Christmas past, if you don't mind. I have to go quite a long time ago now. It's, I was about seven years old, and growing up, we would always go to Seattle and visit my grandmother, and we'd go see our extended family there. And this particular Christmas, uh, it was it was really snowy on the pass. And anytime it snowed a lot, my mom and I would take the bus over to Seattle. And that was great because my mom didn't have to drive. We didn't have to chain up um, and do all those things. But it did add a couple hours to our trip. And uh, for a seven-year-old, anticipating Christmas, it's quite a, quite a bit of time. Um, and at some point, I remember we got on the bus and I had my Sega Game Gear uh, it's like a handheld game system. And back then, yeah, if you remember, back then they, they took about six batteries each. So once you're out of batteries, it was done. Like, you're not going to just put another six batteries in there. And so it's probably Ellensburg. Didn't last very long. And now I'm looking out the window, and the hours are, the minutes are seeming like hours. And I'm wa- looking out the window. They're fogged up. I hear coughs and snores, and it's almost too much to bear. And finally, we got back to Seattle. We got to the bus station, and our, my uh, aunt picked us up. And there was still more time to go. We had another 30 minutes to get to my grandmother's house. And I'm, if my memory serves me correct, I think every red light there, we, we hit it. So we pull into the driveway, and it's, it's cold and damp, and the rain's beating down on the aluminum covering in her driveway. And then the door opens, and the light comes out, and my grandma's smiling face is there, and I go inside. And I'm surrounded by the smell of fresh baked bread. It's the best feeling in the world, right? And then I I don't remember anything tasting quite as good as that first bite of that fresh baked bread and butter. There's a lot that goes into that memory and there's a lot that goes into that bread, but that's joy for me. And you probably have your own bread memories because bread's something I think we can all relate to, uh, whether it's going to your favorite bakery and seeing a display case filled with all your favorite treats or that uh, smell of the fresh break goods that brings you back home. Bread is a unique part of being human because it's something that we all share. In fact, I think if we could list all the cultures in the world, we'd probably find that they all have their unique twist on bread. Twisted bread, naan, soft pretzels, fresh flour tortillas, steamed bao buns. It really goes around the world. We also know it spans economic classes. Um, Oprah, she's on the record of saying that she loves bread. Mother Teresa fed bread to the hungry in India. And it also spans the ages. Uh, we, we found uh, recipes for bread from ancient Egypt, and it's really not that different than the bread we eat today. 
And until this week, I hadn't really considered how much bread has come up in my life and how much it's spanned across everything. Um, So you're probably tired of hearing me talk about bread now. So let's talk about making bread. Jesus uses this process of making bread to describe the kingdom of heaven. In the middle of Matthew, we're we're picking up and we find Jesus. And Jesus has just gone out to sit by the lake. He thinks he's looking for some solitude, but a, a large crowd gathers around him. So he starts to tell these parables. And one of the parables right in the middle is the parable of the yeast. It's also the shortest parable in the entire Bible. So if you want to commit this one to memory today, you got to win. You got a parable. It also automatically draws our attention because it's so short. Um, so let's start there in Matthew 13, 33. I'm reading out of the NIV right now if you want to pull it up and read along. It says, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So what's Jesus doing here? He's comparing the kingdom of heaven to this tiny seed of yeast. I've never baked bread, but I remember the yeast comes in these little packets and it seems silly to buy something so small and we're going to work the kingdom, through a huge amount of dough, and it prepares it for its final form. It starts with something small. There's this unseen change going on. And on the surface, we can see that there's this little thing that's growing. It it spreads through something larger, and it's going to make something great, bread. But that's on the surface. And and when I say on the surface, I'm not taking any way anything away from that message because that is the message that's the beauty of it right that we've established there's this universal language this universal idea something we can truly relate to a message for everyone that's something we can all rejoice in a little bit of kingdom in our lives in our communities it's going to spread God's doing the transforming but we also know Jesus is very intentional with his words and we're meant to wrestle with these parables And there's deep meaning behind every word that he places there. So I want to look a little bit closer at the different pieces and and find some things that stand out. And there's three questions in which uh, I want to do that this morning. One, what's the significance of yeast? Two, why so much flour? And three, who's this woman making the dough? Let's start with the yeast. So if we were to do a word study, if you have a study Bible or if you're going to use Google or uh, Bible Gateway, something to look up yeast and see where it appears in the Bible, you're going to see it appear quite a bit. Um, And as you read through those verses, or maybe from memory, you're going to remember that yeast isn't usually looked at in a positive light. Most of the time, yeast is it represents something negative. In Deuteronomy 16, God's people are instructed not to eat bread with leaven, bread made without yeast, for seven days as they observe Passover. And unleavened bread is a huge theme that spans throughout the Old Testament. There's such this consistent theme that Jesus, even later, and the New Testament writers are going to use this negative context for yeast. And just a few chapters from now, in Matthew 16, he's going to compare Jesus, uh, yeast, to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's something that will spread and ruin your dough if we allow it. And then also in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, yeast is the sin that we must remove to create the new pure dough that we have in our lives in Christ. And if we go back in time, also I think those people of Israel, they were 
intimately familiar with the Torah, with the Old Testament, and they're going to know right away this idea of the yeast. And for Jesus to use this as an example for his parable, it's unexpected. And for a people that are expecting to be freed from Roman rule, the biggest empire, maybe the most powerful empire ever, this kingdom of yeast is going to be surprising. And for our world, in a world that doesn't know God, a world that does, a kingdom of yeast would be unassuming. Now, the kings of the world in the past and the rulers of the present, maybe they wouldn't use this example, right? They might use something more powerful, like maybe a power, powerful image of water because water cuts through the hardest rock, it changes landscapes, and it, it makes a raging river. That would be a forceful image, but that's not what we get. Jesus tells us a different story. Why? Could it be a, a reminder that the kingdom of heaven looks a little different? Now, we're open to this fact that these seeds that are working through the kingdom are growing in every day in ordinary ways. A kingdom where change makes, might be invisible to the outside observer, and God's kingdom isn't what we were expecting. To a world, a world and the anticipating people, the Lord provides in unexpected ways. So let's move to the flower and the woman now. And as we examine this parable a little bit further, I want to use a different translation. We'll look at the ESV. Um, and here we find a slightly different measurement of flower. Um, in Matthew 13, 33, same parable in the ESV, it says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So the measurement here is three. And it seems oddly specific. We know that numbers can have a great deal of importance in the Bible and they have a lot of symbolism. So when we see a, a specific number like that, maybe it's a little flag that we can look for a connection. Is there another time in the Bible where there's three measures of flour? And it turns out there is another story, and that's in Genesis 18. And we're going to look at Genesis 18 in that story there, but to set the stage a little bit, I want to talk about uh, the previous chapters where, where God has been doing this work with humanity. He's, he's changed Abraham and Sarah's name. He's made a promise that they're going to have a son, even though they're very old, and from that son, there will be many nations and many kings. And the families just pledged a covenant, and they, all the men have been circumcised, so they're sitting there um, after all this has happened and waiting for God to complete the promise. In Genesis 18, in the ESV again, 1 through 15, we'll pick up there. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent to Sarah and said, 
Quick, three sayers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advancing years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So here's our flower connection. If we look at the ESV translation, the measurement from Genesis says that there's three seahs of flour. And a seah is equal to, I didn't know this either, I had to look it up. So. A seah is equal to a third of an FS, which is about a bath. So I'm imagining a bath of flour for these three strangers. We have, the NIV says 60 pounds, so that's maybe a little easier to imagine for us. Um, it seems like way too much flour for three strangers, right? And some bread. And I'm not a baker, but I, I did Google. That's about 50 loaves of bread that you can make with that amount of flour. Way too much bread, right? But it's not about the bread. It's, it's about the hospitality here. Extreme hospitality. And Abraham and Sarah, they're looking at these three strangers. And they recognize, that these stranger, they recognize the Lord in these strangers. They're seeing their adoring Lord in these poor wanderers. And when we do something for God, isn't there a bigger budget, better hospitality? Jesus values hospitality as kingdom work. And when we feed these strangers, we're told in the Bible that it's like feeding Jesus himself, right? When we see the hungry and the the thirsty and we feed them and give them water, that's feeding Jesus and giving him water, taking care of his people. And we're we're, we're called to approach the world in that same way. We aren't just welcoming people into our generosity, though, because when the bread runs out and the water runs dry, something we never run out of is our presence. And presence is is what God's been after all along. Time after time, God wants to be with us. From the beginning, in Genesis, he walked in the garden. And our curse, it was to be separated from God. Our God loves closeness. And sometimes... To give our presence, though, it can be more challenging than maybe giving of our resources. We have so many things competing for our presence. Our phones, I'm guilty. Endless streaming possibilities, I'm guilty again. And the general business of everyday life. But there's, there's lots of viable reasons to be busy, right? I mean, life's busy. We can be short on time. And I think that's what makes presence even more valuable. Do any of you have that friend who just spends time with you no matter what you're going to do? It doesn't matter. Friend that gives you their full attention to the words that you're telling them. That friend that stays until all the food's gone. After dessert, they're still there. But they're not overstaying their welcome. They're, they're helping you pick up and just being there with you. How valuable is that friend? 
just to have that friend to be there for you. God's people are those types of people. And here's a funny thought about friends. They were all strangers first, right? All of our friends were strangers at one point. Our world is desperate for presence. We hear it every day, that loneliness and separation, that feeling, that anxiety runs rampant in our society. We have this simple resource that can be life-changing. In this parable, could Jesus be making a connection that his people are hospitable and they value presence and they give their presence? Simple action can become kingdom work. Now, last, let's look at that character, right? The woman. In the parable, the woman is mixing the dough. And if we look at our connection in Genesis, this wouldn't be the character that we, we choose for our fancy big budget movies, right? And our, our stories that we, we have today. Instead, the woman in the parable is someone unassuming. It could have, this, this story that Jesus told, it could have been about Abraham, right? We could have got to the same point that it's about people who recognize God and strangers and then start creating a feast. But that's not the story we get. She's mixing the dough, and and Sarah isn't that prototypical hero. She's too old to be having a baby. She laughed at the idea of it, and then she denied it. Lord, I, I didn't laugh. No, but you did. You did laugh. And it's funny just to read that, right? Because how can you deny laughing in front of God. But he, I think it was a loving response because we can be just like that in our faith. God has these incredible promises for us, but they can be really hard to see. And to believe we can be part of kingdom work seems a little far-fetched. And here's Sarah. She's mixing dough creating a feast for strangers, and Jesus loves it. That's the story he tells. Jesus loves it. Could it be that the kingdom of heaven isn't just for these people that recognize the holy, do great things, massive deeds, but the kingdom is also for the ones that the world perceives as less. The kingdom is in those people, and the work is going to be done through them. God will use these unexpected characters to bring goodness back into the world. And during the Christmas season, we get to look at another story, the story that we base our joy on. And a long time ago, it seemed like the world was at an impasse with God. Humanity's wholeness seemed unlikely. But God valued presence with his children. And he had a plan that no one saw coming. This is where we find God ushering in the kingdom in another unlikely character, right? There's a young woman expecting a baby, a Jewish virgin teen, about to give birth to an infant. And this infant is God's redemption plan for the world. Because God knew exactly where to meet the world. And if we could go back 2,000 years ago, I like to create a picture and fill in the details. I don't know. But Herod, one of the richest men of all time, the King Herod, he was sitting, sitting down and he felt threatened by this new king and this new king that he heard about coming into the world. And he's probably having a great feast and probably some really good bread. These wise men, they set off, they pack their bags with some bread and they have a long journey ahead to hear about the good news. 
And that night, in a stable, stamp and dark, maybe Mary and Joseph had some scraps of bread that were stale and left over from the inn. And that's the moment that we find our new hope. And as this baby grows up, he's present on earth. He lives life with real people. And he teaches us how our father takes these little things and makes them beautiful. This is our joy. A God who uses small things to do world-changing work. A God who loves and values presence. A God who works through the unexpected. That's our redemption plan. And in 23, 2023, as we gather around tables, we're going to eat bread again. And although Jesus hasn't returned again, we anticipate that new kingdom coming. And through the Holy Spirit, he never left. He remains here with us. And we're invited to pursue and work in this kingdom on earth. So I want to end here with two pieces of encouragement. I know this time of year can be really lonely for a lot of people. And we have a God that not only values our presence, but will change the world for it. A God who has provided us an open invitation into a life-changing closeness with him. Life will continue to have its challenges. It doesn't make it perfect, but we just have to take that first step. And we can find joy in that future as the world does become perfect. And we do have wholeness again. But unlike happiness, when we find that, joy never fades. A God with unending hospitality and nearness to you. Take peace in that. And finally, take joy in the little moments and the little interactions. God is working here. We don't always need the right words. We don't need to change minds. We don't need to accomplish Incredible things. God's doing the work. Mother Teresa once said that not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And through God, just, just know your presence is enough. Being present for friends and making space for strangers, that's beautiful kingdom work. There's these yeast-sized acts that they spread through the dough of our homes. They spread through our lives. They spread through the dough of our communities and neighborhoods. And we begin to see God at work. And in that sense, I hope that you can experience that joy of cooking.